0: Here's some common sense. Yes
1: sir,
2: they have the car stopped in town and ranch by fire. We
0: still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. And tonight, as you could see, joining me is a, a not well frequent, but she's been a guest quite a few times. And we have Dr. Debbie Goodman, criminologist and professor at your university, St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida. Oh my God, you think she's in Miami, a poor woman. She must be freezing, you know? So she's a professor of criminal justice. At St. Thomas University, Miami, Florida. Dr. Debbie Goodman,
3: welcome, Doc. Thank you, thank you, Sergeant Bill. Always an <laughs> honor, a privilege to join you, the viewers, on, on these important topics and cases. And thank you so much for the invitation to uh, speak about another important issue on the Murdoch uh, cases here. Absolutely.
0: And I know that our uh, viewers, which is, um, I always love to mention this, Seventy four percent of our viewers are women and they all they all seem to love you, Dr. Debbie. Wow. So that's uh, that's why I bring you on here. Well, so what, what, you. What, what, and, topic... and Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Can, Bill, can I also just thank the viewers, because sure. whenever I'm on with, with you and Sergeant Bill, Professor Mike, the viewers reach out to me and connect or follow on LinkedIn. So that's awesome. So so please uh, feel free to do so, because I love to make those connections. That's and great. They're awesome. You know, tonight,
0: um, we all watched uh, with great interest the Alec Murdoch trial. And in the criminal justice field, you hear people always want to play devil's advocate. They want to complain about things that happened. And the biggest complaint about the Alec Murdoch trial was the fact that he was found guilty too too quickly. You know, it's like the public wanted it to take days of deliberation.
4: Mm.
0: Yet, if you watch the trial, I mean, it was very interesting. There's so many different aspects to the trial, but jurors don't like when a defendant takes the stand and lies and gets caught in numerous, numerous lies. So it was interesting to watch some of the jurors that spoke to the press afterwards. And it's very common when a jury goes back to start their deliberations, to immediately take a vote. Let's see where we're at right now.
1: Mm.
0: And they take a vote, and it's nine to convict. One is sitting on the fence. Two aren't sure. So that's not, you don't have to get too far with convincing one who's sitting on the fence that's leaning toward conviction, and two that want to hear a little more convincing. And in less than, I believe it was, three hours,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: They had all twelve nothing. They were all ready to vote that he was guilty, and for some reason, you know, the public, the uh, the people that watch these cases, the real crime community, people weren't happy because it, it happened too quick. What do you What are your thoughts, Doctor Debbie?
3: Right. Well, again, uh, delighted to be with you and our viewers, and so many levels and layers to this case. But but that's a great spot for us to start with Sergeant Bill, because first and foremost, as a criminologist and as a professor, I really highly regard, have faith and trust and and respect in the process of the jury system. You see therein lies another um, thought. Not everybody thinks that, that these types of decisions should be handled by the citizenry, as we say, but I feel they should be, and I don't think one needs to be a lawyer involved in the criminal justice system to be able to listen to the facts, absorb them, think through them, and come to a a rightful, appropriate, legal, judicial outcome. So for me, you know, my background being involved in in different types of murder cases in analysis and commentary and review from the academic and scholastic. Of course, you, uh, Detective Phil, uh, Professor Mike and, and all of the colleagues from NYPD and beyond, you're involved in the, in the hands-on aspect of all of this. But, but here's my point, whether it's a single murder, double murder, triple, quadruple, uh, mass shooting, workplace violence, school-based violence when the facts align and that really is the role of of the you know court aspect of all of this what are the five w's and the h every police academy around the country we're all knowledgeable about that being the platform the who what when where why and ultimately the how and when all of this is presented in a way and i thought the way in which this was presented by the prosecution was very much in in a chronological sequencing and a very solid approach to to what the facts are what potentially the motivation was everything aligned and i think the 12 men and women who did their their due diligence every day for six weeks they came to the right outcome now again it's not necessarily uncommon for these outcomes to be rendered and maybe some people felt was was a rapid approach. But we do know with data analytics that when the um, verdict is returned quickly, it usually points in favor of the prosecution. Now, had it gone on? And it easily could have um, a few days, a few weeks. Then we know, we start to think, well, clearly there's not totality of agreement. There is some discussion and conversation. And that's okay too, because that's what that process is designed for. But when we all heard, particularly those of us in the field, that, as you say, in less than three hours we had the outcome, I don't think that's necessarily something that should be viewed in any negative way. I kind of yield a little more on the positive that they listened, they heard it. They thought through it first, of course, individually. And then when they came together collectively, the majority of whom were in agreement, if and when there were the, the one, the two that may have had a, a different look at it, they continued to discuss it. So I do feel strongly that that the outcome is appropriate and that Alex Murdoch did a double homicide and astonishingly so of his own wife and son. It's just astonishing. You know, you're
0: absolutely right. So that brings us to where we are today. And the reason we're on today is because August 14th, Alec Murdoch is going to be brought into court again in regards to the wrongful death case against Mallory Beach, the person who was killed when Paul Murdoch was operating a boat three times the legal limit with alcohol. And that you know, when we use we use New Yorkisms on this show, when we say there was a lot of fugaziness to this investigation, mm. we mean that there was this investigation. And I, I hate to use this as an analogy, but because pro- many people that watch this show aren't old enough to remember this, but if you remember when Ted Kennedy killed Mary Jo Kopechne, yes, the cover-up was unbelievable. I mean, today, if a U.S. senator was drunk and killed hit one of his assistants in a drunken accident going off a bridge that was, uh, in the middle of the night. I don't think he would get away with it, but back then he, he got away with it. at least criminal currently he got, he was never charged. He was dictating to the police how they should investigate it. Could you imagine that today? A senator's going to tell the police, this is how we're going to do this. Well, that was what it was in 1969. I believe it was when, uh, Ted Kennedy drove off the Chappaquiddick bridge, uh, Martha's Vineyard. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Ted Kennedy. Let's talk about this. The reason I draw parallels to it is because after this boating accident occurred, and if you watch the Netflix uh, documentary on this, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating because the Murdoch family had so much power. They just fixed things, and they were known to fix things, and they were intimidating to members of the public they got in their face and got, and they were known to be able to fix anything in that area of South Carolina, because after all they ran the district attorney's office for almost a hundred years. Mm. Uh, and I believe they called it down there. They called it the solicitor general. It wasn't called the district attorney's office. So that type of power they yielded, they know where the bodies are buried. Let me put it that way. You know, they know where the bodies are buried. They know all kinds of secrets, and when they showed up the night that Paul Murdoch driving, I think he blew a two, four or something like that. Or well, mm-hmm. he didn't blow anything. The hospital took his blood because he was acting erratically. So when they tested his blood, two, four is, is, I mean, I, I'm surprised you can walk
4: mm-hmm.
0: uh, if you have, you know, two point point two, four alcohol content in your blood. Okay. Anyway, there were six people on that boat, uh, Pretty much all of them got injured when uh, Paul Murdoch operated this boat. If, if anyone's ever been on a boat, and I know many of you, our audience has, if you ever been on a boat at nighttime? There is no darker dark than on the water. It is pitch black. You literally cannot see anything. And I, you know what I'm talking about. It makes sense. It might not make sense to someone who's never been on a boat at night. When you have... There's nothing darker than being on the water on a boat. Anyway, he was so intoxicated, he was fooling around with the boat, going around in circles, and people were begging him not to drive like that and not to let someone else operate the boat. He refused, this is my boat, with all kinds of expletives, deletives, you know, cursing at everyone. He actually spit in his girlfriend's face and smacked her across the face, and his girlfriend's name was Morgan Dowdy, and she was sort of like an abused, you know, if you compare like an abused woman, she was abused by this guy. And I don't know why she put up with it. And um, I guess this incident was the catalyst that gave her the strength to finally get away, away from him. And it took the death of her best friend, Mallory Beach, in order to get the strength to do this. But after this boating accident, where he crashed to, into a bridge abutment, pretty much everyone on that boat wound up in the water. And the current apparently was unbelievable. And uh, Anthony Cook, uh, who was the boyfriend of Mallory Beach, he wound up in the water and he kept trying to dive to look for her. But she apparently, her injury was so severe to her head. Mm -hmm. So she may have hit her head on something before she was jettisoned into the water. And she drowned almost immediately. And if you drown... Your body sinks to the bottom and finding the person with, with, with a current like that is, you know, just about impossible because you probably just, you know, being dragged along the bottom of the body of water. I hate to be so graphic, but that mm-hmm. happens to be a, a fact. Yes. Now, all of these people on the boat, they know the story what happened and they, they, they all know this was Paul Murdoch's fault. Now, what happens right after the boating accident? Of course, everyone's trying to call 911. Murdoch's, the Murdoch family shows up at the hospital. Alec Murdoch and Randolph Murdoch, who's the grandfather. Now they start the fix. They start immediately trying to have the fix in. And what we could do, let's get Paul off the hook. Let's get everyone to say that they tried to stick it on Anthony Cook, the cousin of, uh, excuse me, Connor Cook the cousin of Anthony, they try to stick it on him that he was operating the boat. Can you imagine that? A girl is dead. Well, at that point, they don't even know. And guess what? When they're at the hospital, they could care less that someone's missing. Their only concern was that they get Paul Murdoch off the hook. And that was how they aligned themselves. They were setting up the fix. Minute one, when they arrived at the hospital and, you know, the police did a horrific investigation on the scene. They didn't do what you're supposed to do in a death investigation. And if someone is jettisoned off a boat and hours go by and you don't find them, I don't think it's a rescue operation anymore. Uh, It's a recovery, you know? Yes. Thoughts, Dr. Debbie?
3: Sure. Well, on the issue of boating at night and how it's almost the, the deepest, darkest of, of of black and barely able to even see one's own hand and why I reference that is because being, uh, you know, residing here in South Florida, it was a horrendous tragedy when one of the up and coming uh, Marlins baseball stars, a a star pitcher, Jose Fernandez. Uh, some of the viewers may be familiar with the case, but the quick reminder is in the deepest, darkest of night, there was a horrendous boating accident, which which took the life of young star Mr. Uh, Jose Fernandez and two other boaters, um, one of whom was not even that familiar with Mr. Um, Fernandez himself, but, but the other participant of the boat. So there were some other unfortunate conditions there too with drug use and and you know the high speed of the boating and in an area where there were also rocks that were simply just not visible in that time of night. So now we, we segue to this. Um, it was almost like anything and everything that could have gone wrong. Sergeant Bill in the Murdoch case went wrong. To include, and it's uh, again about decision making here about uh, you know young people on a, a transportation, but to include the the driver of a boat who's severely heavily intoxicated. Now I don't know that we know the toxicology reports. Of all of the other attendees on the, but the bottom here is how. Why, if we just want to start here, first, was allowed to acquire the alcohol? So we'll we'll dig through and, and unravel and unlayer that onion if we may, and perhaps we can think through how and why was he allowed to purchase this alcohol with a fake identification? Well, Dr. Yeah. Debbie, it actually wasn't a fake ID. Oh, it was LeBron. Oh, That's
4: right,
0: Buster's ID. That's right, he was able to use that ID. That's right, the alcohol. That's right. Then he actually used that ID later on to further drink in a bar, which he needed no more drinks at that point, right? But he and and, well, just for that, also, that bar is one of the plaintiffs now mentioned Mm -hmm. in this lawsuit, besides Alec Murdoch. Someone asked in the chat, Alec Murdoch, yes, did own the boat, the boat had. Mm -hmm. I think a half a million dollars worth of insurance on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mallory Beach's body wasn't found uh, for five days. It took five days for them to recover her body. Right. You know, if a body's in the water that long, the person's, uh, you know, in a boat accident like this, chances are, you know, she's not going to be alive. If she was alive, they would have found her probably earlier than that.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have the fake idea on my mind only because as we speak, it's literally spring break across the country. And here in South Florida, we have a lot of spring breakers. So I had even cautioned my own students, you know, at the university, always remember not that you all would be directly involved. But if and when a friend, a colleague, an associate who's underage who would present a fake identification, that's a felony in the state of Florida, punishable by up to five years in prison and any anywhere- 5 to $10 of a fine. But even if we go back to Buster's role in this, should he be culpable? Should he be liable? Did he know? Did Paul come directly to him to say, look, we're taking dad's boat. You know, it's me and and some of the friends and we want to get alcohol. See, I'd like to know his role. Did did Paul just uh, arbitrarily go into Buster's wallet taking the identification? Because I think if Buster had knowledge that um, Paul and the friends would be on this boat consuming alcohol, I think there should be liability for him. That would be my thinking, Sergeant
0: There could be. Rosita, I don't understand why the rest of the adults on the boat weren't charged. They chose to drink and get back on the boat even though they were offered a ride. Why are they given a pass? Well, I'll tell you why. They were not operating the boat. Was it bad judgment for them to get on the boat? Absolutely. But that's not criminal. Bad judgment when you're not the operator the operator of that boat is 100 percent liable mm. he was being told and begged by everyone to let someone else operate the boat he refused you look paul murdoch has really he's, pro- he's got really bad alcohol or did have a really bad alcohol problem and the other thing was every time he got in trouble in his life his family fixed it so what kind of lessons was he learning was he ever getting punished for poor behavior mm-hmm. no but uh, so, Rosita, I hope I answered your question. They just had bad judgment, the people on that boat. And unfortunately, one of them paid with her life. You know, really? and that, that's the unfortunate thing about this. I'm just going to play a little of this video right here, Dr. Debbie, and then we'll comment on it later on.
1: A News Nation special report, the Murdoch Mysteries. Alec Murdoch is charged in the deaths of his wife and son. But Paul and Maggie's murders are just part of this complicated story. Many point to another case that opened up Pandora's box into Alec Murdoch and his influence. February 24th, 2019, more than two years before Maggie and Paul were killed, the day a teenager with an ever-present smile tragically lost her life. NewsNation senior national correspondent Brian Enton joins us tonight live from Walterboro, South Carolina, where the trial will take place with that part of the story. Brian.
4: Yeah, Marnie, we're outside the Colleton County Courthouse. It's interesting being here and thinking about the fact that the Murdochs pretty much controlled this courthouse behind me for generations. And now tomorrow, Alec Murdoch will be here uh, for his murder trial. They have had so much power over this community, and it is really highlighted when you go back and you look at what happened with Alec Murdoch's son, Paul, when he was arrested in a deadly boat accident, but never even spent one night behind bars. There's
1: six of us and one is missing. What, Mallory? She's in the water.
4: She's a, can you see her? Carnage and chaos. <laughs> okay. 19-year-old Mallory Beach missing after a night on the boat with friends. The recent high school graduate jettisoned from her boyfriend's arms when a 17-foot center console plowed into a piling in Beaufort County, South Carolina. High wind is always a factor. More than a dozen first responders and an army of volunteers searched for a week. Bringing the air assets to help us look in the areas that the boats can't get into. Prayer chains to find Mallory alive turned to an unbearable wave of grief. Miss your voice, miss your smile. Everything about
1: you worthwhile.
4: The store where she worked in modeled clothing, posting a public tribute. But privately, the Murdoch machine was at work. A lot of
2: influence across the board. Nothing really happens unless the Murdoch family says it happens.
4: It was the Murdoch's boat, the family's youngest son, Paul, parking it at a gas pump. He was at the helm or was he friend connor cook on board as well that night and his attorney says it was not long before alec murdoch was telling all five survivors to stay quiet on who was captain what was clear immediately though alcohol was in copious use by the underage voters the police report.
0: you know dr debbie uh, i just want to comment on that it's very scary when the father who is a powerful powerful attorney goes to the hospital when his son is involved in a fatal boating accident, and he's the operator of the boat, and the father, this powerful attorney who controls this county, at least the law firm does, tells everyone to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. So all of these kids want to tell the truth. They want to tell what happened. They want to tell your son's an asshole, and -hmm. your son was drunk as hell, and he wouldn't listen to anybody, and he crashed into the bridge. But they're being intimidated by this attorney whose family is the most powerful law firm in this area in South
3: Carolina. And you think they were intimidated a little bit? A lot, and and absolutely on point, Sergeant Bill, hence why, again, Alex Murdoch needs to be tried for this wrongful death. He was a direct interference with an investigation to, to suggest, or we don't even know beyond suggesting mandating that these young people lie to police so he's interfering at the very least with an investigation and um, again just fabricating evidence by by intimidating these young people to lie you know we know the acronym fear right fear face everything and run face everything and rise So these kids, understanding that they're up against, if not one of the most, the most powerful families for generations in this state, how were they to stand up to this? It it just felt, I'm sure, for them, very faltering. We know they should have told the truth, but the fact that Alex Murdoch would have directly gotten involved in this way is now, I think, going to be revealed. In, in the courtroom in August, and he will face the penalties and consequences therein. But a lot of the other um, areas that that you uh, commented upon, and and I would like to agree that that there's such deep-rooted, um, you know, thoughts of of privilege and entitlement here that these children, meaning Paul and Buster, must have grown up from from early years until where. Now and, and again with false passing. But Buster, anything and everything that they may have done, my turn to me was almost erased like
0: Like Pop, Grandpa, or, or, or Dad will fix this. We can screw up as much as possible. And our powerful grandfather, Randolph, or our Dad, Alec Murdoch, with the power of that law firm, is going to fix this let me play. keep this get this going again play this
4: report saying all were grossly intoxicated yet no one's blood alcohol levels were checked at the scene same
2: thing if everybody's standing around a car you don't know who drove it it's not against the law to be standing around a car intoxicated
4: but mallory's boyfriend anthony cook is said to have told authorities immediately that paul murdoch was the captain and paul left a trail of photos about town parked at the pump not for gas His friends say he used his big brother Buster's ID to buy beer and malted drinks at the store. The 20-year-old raising his purchases triumphantly before they're loaded into his pickup truck. Later, after drinking with parents present at an oyster roast, the group continued boating to dodge known DUI roadside checkpoints. (laughs) Docking near a bar called Luther's, where Paul and Connor do more drinking. Back in the boat, one friend testifying Paul was belligerently drunk, slapping his girlfriend, spitting in her face, refusing to give up the wheel until the deadly crash. Someone. Uh, No, I'm coming. We're coming. We're coming, okay? The Murdoch family served nearly a century consecutively as the area's solicitor, meaning they prosecuted cases, putting them in close working relationships with officers, deputies, state agents on the case, and others. They always put on a uh, get together every year
2: uh, for, for first responders, police officers, things of that nature. This family has been powerful. And at the center of power and influence there for almost
0: 100 years. Therefore, I'm going to set a personal recognizance bond.
4: It would take nearly two months for Paul Murdoch to be criminally charged. Eyebrows raised with his release that same day with the $50,000 bond and surrender of his passport. Anything to say about that, about why he decided to plead not guilty? Because he's not guilty. His former friend Connor cleared at last. Connor was... Uh, left
0: to uh, twist in the breeze for nearly uh, two months.
4: Next, the crash bringing an ongoing bevy of civil suits from Mallory's mom, Anthony Connor, and the other young women demanding Alec Murdoch's financials, the beginning of the unraveling of a low country southern dynasty. So we have to put a spotlight on things like this because it cannot continue. Thank
1: you for
0: you know, money and power, and it's not, the Murdochs aren't the only people across this nation, across this world with money and power. But this, you know, what what's that old uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Yeah, that's and, it. Uh, you know, one of the things was how, if this was investigated correctly, and if there was the integrity of this investigation was what it should have been, Paul Murdoch would have been arrested that very night. How he was not arrested is beyond me because someone died. So while well, someone was missing, they didn't know that night. You know, the Murdochs were said that they were actually hoping that they didn't find the body because it would have been harder for them to charge anything if they didn't find the body. But the fact that he had this boating accident without even without finding that night Mallory Beach's body, mm. everyone on that boat was injured. That's a felony, driving intoxicated. And with injuries is a felony. Why was he not remanded that night? Well, we know why. They let him they let him go home because guess what? The police were in the Murdoch's pocket.
3: Well, I was going to say that, Sergeant Bill, and, and you know how much I love, respect, and admire our local, state, and federal law enforcement officers, and I've had the honor and privilege of teaching at police academies here in South Florida, Ethics Report Writing Human Behavior. But we have to call it like it is. If this case did not involve the Murdoch family, and if it involved um, young Miss Jones, young Mr. Smith, we'd have a whole different outcome. So people don't even blink in our field when we've got a decedent and when we've got alcohol, there's an arrest made and or multiple arrests. So that too, I feel, really needs to be unraveled and investigated as well. And this family, I think, Sergeant Bill, moving forward, we're only really at the tip of the iceberg. I think there is much more we have concluded, let's say, a part of it, a big part, whereby Alex Murdoch, the patriarch, the father, is convicted of double homicide, two life sentences. What still remains here is his role in in the death of Miss Mallory Beach and how he got involved and how he orchestrated lies and further corruption and how and why, as you suggest, where was the arrest and why didn't law enforcement do that? Was somebody paid right there and the did the Murdoch family uh, pay whoever was involved in law enforcement to not make the arrest? Were people just so afraid and intimidated and and fearful of perhaps losing their jobs, it really- um, You is know, per- Dr. Debbie, I
0: think it was more that law enforcement was trying, they're being actually instructed to what to do by the Murdochs on the scene. And they're oh. accepting, I mean, which is pathetic, really. But the Murdochs also had, I don't have his name at the tip of my tongue, an, a Mr. Fix It guy in law enforcement that when something horrific happened, they would call him and he would get there. And he was such with connections and the power that he could steer the investigation the the way they wanted to go. They started immediately trying to blame uh, Connor Cook for uh, being the driver of the boat. And thank goodness the other, um, well, it would have been four people because obviously Paul's gonna testify against himself, and Mallory's missing. The other four people said no. He wasn't operating the boat. Mm. Paul was operating the boat, and also scientifically, they proved that he couldn't have uh, uh, he couldn't have gotten the injuries he got. He had a real huge gash on mm. his chin, and I think his his jaw something happened to his jaw that couldn't have happened based on where he was sitting in the boat. So all of that was was proved scientifically, and thank. Goodness, that he got—he uh, got a good attorney that represented him. That wasn't going to be pushed pushed around by the Murdochs,
3: and- right? But look at the history of being pushed around by the Murdochs, and and thankfully the, the buck stops here, doesn't it? Or it certainly should, or at least in part. And hopefully the rest of the parts that we will be um, discussing and analyzing as as we continue forward with this family. But let us not forget the enormity of the financial crimes that Alex Murdoch is is alleged to have participated in. Ninety nine crimes. And I did the math. And if he's convicted of, of each of which, Sergeant Bill, that totals 700 years in prison. Now I know some of you know, our- Dr. Debbie, he's gonna to have to be a cat cause he's gonna need nine lives. He's already got two life sentences. <laughs> how many more? T- how much more punishment can he get, you know? Well, well, but perhaps, you know, we can touch on it and the viewers could think about it because shouldn't people still be punished for their wrongdoing Sergeant Bill? I mean, those of us in the field are citizens. What happens to, to ethics and integrity and honor and trust. We just can't let people get away. I mean, clearly with murder, thankfully he did not, but other crimes. I do think all of that should still proceed through our criminal justice system. Dr.
0: Debbie, I think that really this case, the civil case is the wrongful death is more for the families than it is to punish uh, Alec Murdoch. I mean, you can't punish him anymore. He's gonna be doing two life sentences. He only has one life, but he's never getting out of prison. You're right. He still needs to be held accountable. But I think, especially for the family of Mallory Beach, he needs to be called on the carpet again. And you know something? I would uh, I would bet that a narcissist like Alec Murdoch will enjoy going back to court. He's not this is about him. He's not gonna be sitting in jail or in prison that day. He's gonna be in court, which is look, he thrives in court. He was an attorney for how many years? And that's that's where he, you know, that's where he feels the most comfortable. A lawsuit filed against the Murdochs, Joseph McCulloch, lawyer for Connor Cook, that Paul Murdoch was likely to drive the boat in an intoxicated condition, even to the extent of becoming Timmy, an alcohol-induced personality transformation. Hmm.
3: Apparently,
0: that's what they called Paul Murdoch when he was drunk. They called him Timmy because he became a whole different persona, just an evil look, spitting in his girlfriend's face and smacking her i mean i also she seems like a beautiful girl i i i uh morgan dowdy i i i looked at the um the documentary and i really though did question why are you letting someone do that to you more than once
1: Mm. and this
0: wasn't the first time this had happened he had abused her before Mm. and you know we we've talked about domestic violence against women this that and the other thing and we know that you know, it's always the person, oh, we apologize. He said he'd never do it again. Come on, we know that's that's domestic violence, and that's what people that abuse women, they do. They apologize. and uh, oh, I'll never happen again. and then they get drunk again, and they they hit the person again. So right. it's totally outrageous. Doc Debbie, I just want to do a quick little commercial. Folks, this is police off the cuff real crime stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell and make comments. We love to read your comments and we love to answer your comments and get into a little interaction. Uh, We also have a Patreon with three different levels. If you want to support us financially, and we have a YouTube channel membership with count five different levels where you can support us. You see the folks in the green font, they are members of our YouTube channel. And we really appreciate all our subscribers, our friends, our fans. And uh, uh, Robbie, thank you for the 1999 super sticker, very much appreciated. Um, this case is is amazing, and one of the things is because of these documentaries on Netflix and everything, everyone knows seems to know all the facts about this. And it's this is a case we've 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 said this ad nauseum. If this is going to become a TV series or is is a TV series, writers could never make up this, this stuff that happened in this case because that old adage, truth is stranger than fiction, absolutely is, is the case in, in this Murdoch case. And when more and more things come out, it's like, do you believe this? And that's, that's the realm it's at. Dr. Debbie.
3: Hmm. Well... It's hard to believe, but yet I believe it. And here's why, Sergeant Bell, because of the cases that have preceded this one. Unfortunately, moving forward, there may be more of a similar strand and thread. But here's what we know about murderers, that at whatever point in time they make this decision, again, whether it's to commit a single homicide, double, triple, quadruple mass shooting, mass murder, workplace related, school-based related, we always say those two elements exist, right? The mens rea, the actus reus. Mens rea is all about the planning, the premeditation, the willfulness, and it's done with malice. So that really translates into the guilty mind. The person is thinking through everything about the crime itself before he or she perpetrates it. The day, the time, the location, the type of weapon, and possibly even one's own role in, in seemingly, and I think this applies to Alec Murdoch, acting it innocent, acting as if he's so bereaved because his wife is deceased, his son, but I think that is still very much aligned with psychopathic behavior. As we know about psychopaths, they can be very high-functioning individuals. They can be very smart, interactive with community, with family, with the workplace, that we know. But going back to some of your earlier comments at the onset of the discussion, being uh, narcissistic, grandiose, it's all about that individual, not about others. Because even my own student, Sergeant Bill, as we've been discussing this case for the six weeks, along with the rest of the world, you know, some of my students would say, well, Dr. Debbie, you know, look, look at him. He's crying. So I would say, okay, let's talk about it. I would get the students' opinions. What do they think? But, but then they'd say, okay, now what do you think? What I think is he's really crying for himself, Sergeant Bill, and to our viewers. I think he participated in what he thought would be the crime that he would get away with, deflecting away from the enormity of the financial corruption that was weighing heavily upon him and that if he got away with the double homicide, I believe he thought that the financial crimes would start to dissipate, people would not want to appear insensitive because he had lost his wife, his son, and there would be time, let's say. And then he would have time to figure out some of this other stuff. But for me, he did this. I I didn't have one moment of doubt and, and you know, through the viewers and their thoughts too, which would be very important. I think the tipping point of the entire case was, was not the crying and not you know, some of the other uh, evidence presented, but the key for me was the kennel uh, footage and the fact that it puts right there at the time, the, lo- the place, the location moments before his wife and his son are murdered. So how he thought that he had created the perfect crime is actually not uncommon among many murderers. They think it through. They believe they will plan it in a way that they will not be found guilty. And therefore, the actus reus here is that second piece, the act itself. He carried it out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Mama Sus, how far ahead if you think Alec Murdoch did this? I don't really think he was convicted of it. Uh, Do you think he planned? Was it last minute planned and activated earlier than planned or spur of the moment? No, he absolutely planned this. And one of the other, the things that is so evident about that, if you watch the video, do you notice that he's in different clothing than he was when he was at the kennel? Do you notice that he brought a gun back to the scene to cover his ass to say, Oh, I, I, you know, I didn't know, you know, I had to get a gun to to protect myself because people could have been after me. That was all planned. All of that stuff was premeditated, no doubt. And then the fact he's going back to visit his mother uh, who had Alzheimer's and talking to the house, you know, all of that stuff was he did that for a reason. He's, you know, something he's he's smart as a fox or dumb as a fox. You could put it that way he's dumb as a fox because he didn't think people would see through that but guess what he didn't count on that little video that his son took and yes i think that was tremendously important evidence and you know you've even used the term smoking gun it was very very powerful and the fact that
3: he lied so much jurors don't like to believe liars they Mm -hmm. absolutely do not like to believe liars And Sergeant Bill, if I may comment upon that, and then Mama Sue's um, very intriguing question. You know, how are we as citizens and for our viewers to think about this and for the jury to have had to make a decision about it, what is the psychology behind an individual who has lied about his whereabouts of the time that his wife and son were murdered But now the psychology is apparently, according to the defense or according to Alex Murdoch himself, who I think orchestrated his own submission of, you know, speaking in court on his own behalf. But what are we now to think? Okay, everybody, I will admit that I lied, but now believe me, like what kind of is that? I'm serious. And for me, it's so illogical and unreasonable. And the jury, I have to believe just quickly you know, agreed with us too. It makes zero sense. If you're a liar, you're a liar. We're all about credibility in court, integrity, respect, one's background, but the lie becomes a complete slippery slide into the abyss of guilt.
0: Absolutely. Lula Morocco asked a question of you, uh, Dr. Debbie. Uh, Dr. Goodman, do you believe that one day... We as Americans will have to leave our DNA documented at birth as the evolution of crime and tech eventually catches up to itself.
3: Wow, that's really a great question. I wouldn't be surprised. It's, it's definitely a possibility. But you know what? Maybe we could look at it both ways. Does it appear to be then uh, too intrusive if we did do that? or down the road in our future of crime, law and justice, which, you know, we all love and, and we want it to be as good as it could be, could it also potentially be helpful in ensuring that those who had nothing to do with crime are not the individuals and that we don't need to convict the, the innocent either. So I think that's quite an intriguing question and, and most likely it might be within, uh, within probability and, and higher possibilities. Well, you know, Dr. Debbie, we had two very intriguing guests
0: on last week uh, from Ramapo College. Yeah. Uh, Dr. yeah. Car- uh, Dr. Professor Karen Binder and Dr. David Gurney. And I'm still so intrigued by investigative genetic genealogy. I want to learn as much as I can about it because even when they explain it to me, I get most of it. I get about 40 percent of it. But I really there's a big part of it that is the computer part of it and the search part of it. That's the genealogy part of it that they're doing all these searches and the genetic part of it with the, um, what do they call it? The SNPs. That's a new, it's a new way to collect or a new test for DNA. You know, we had RFLP, STR, PCR. Now there's a thing called SNPs, and it's, it's fascinating. It's totally fascinating. And, Using this technology, SNPs, instead of 10 or 12 markers, which STR is able to uncover in DNA, this is able to uncover thousands and hundreds of thousands of markers. It's like no one's getting away with murder anymore with this. Lula Morocco, thank you so much for the $50 super sticker. Very much appreciated. You're a big fan of the show, and I appreciate that very much so. So yeah, it fascinates me. And I you know, I actually asked um
3: Karen Binder, could I sit in on a class? And she goes, Oh,
0: I'll have to think
3: about that. I was like, Oh, come on. Well, you have an open invitation to teach any to teach any of my classes you want. So I would love to 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 do a lecture at one of your classes. I want you to. I I would would love to do that. It's all about you watch the show. But but you know, to still piggyback on um and lose the uh, question and, and your response and, and the wonderful guests who address that. It, it's almost like anything else, right, in our timeliness of existence, everything becomes faster, more sophisticated, more readily available and helpful. So I think just the way we even look at our own uh, day-to-day technology, whether it's the phone, the computer and such, that's what this is for our field. I think it's just making it better. I don't think it's too intrusive or violating any rights to do that um, if it can help solve crimes, but also exonerate the people who are innocent. 100 percent. You know, in Dr. Debbie, there was an interesting op ed written in The New York
0: Times after the very quick conviction of Alec Murdoch. And the writer was uh, saying how insecure he was about the electronic timestamps that were used, that he felt were used too much to convict Alec Murdoch. And I 100,000 percent disagreed with him. Like that is the most accurate things you can have. How are you disagreeing that, or are you just unsatisfied with that the jury relied on it so much because they understood it and they convicted him so quickly?
3: Right. Well, and I read that op-ed as well, Sergeant Bill, and I felt the same way. And I read it twice, thinking, okay, perhaps I'm, you know, am I fully absorbing this? Why would there be such disagreement? But. I would have to respectfully disagree with, with the writer in terms of the presentation of all that we know back to, as we always say, every type of crime, who, what, when, where, why, and how. But the when, that piece is critical. So if we have something time stamped and we could uh, you know, align those elements, for me as a criminologist, I think that's critically important. You know, Dr. Debbie, I always used to, to say, you know,
0: time of death, when it's um, done scientifically can only give us like a two or three hour window. It's not that I can't be that accurate, but you know what is accurate. The last time that person was seen in public, the last time that person used their cell phone, the last time that person went on the computer and put their code in to get in. Those are timestamps that give us a time and
3: may be way more accurate than science in regards to time of death. Totally agree. I I really couldn't understand the the vehement disagreement of the writer. But, But again, back to the sophistication of our field, you know, we're moving at such a pace. But here's the reality sometimes. And unfortunately, these criminals, they too are smart. The good news is local, state and federal law enforcement officers, representatives, experts, I'd like to think we're much smarter. And all of these additions to our field can can only help to enhance it and, and keep the right people uh, incarcerated and, and away from our citizens to do further harm. Well, you know, people are talking in
0: the chat about these timestamps and so so important in Brian Koberger and the Me. Idaho quadruple murder case. Look yeah. at how much cell phone technology, the pinging on cell sites. Video technology of seeing his car pull into the back of the house three times, caught on three different cameras, again, caught on a camera at a gas station, fleeing the area, if you can call it that same car. Mm-hmm. So much, but the potentiality that he may have got, got on the Bluetooth of one of the girls. Yes. can solve this. Social media. All, tremendous, With- tremendous evidence. And like if this person for the New
3: York Times. Has a problem with that, dude. You're in the wrong field, then. Maybe you shouldn't be writing about this. You know. Yeah, maybe he could do a part two, so we could further understand where is the um, disconnect for for those of us in the field and the citizens and the viewers who get all of this and and feel strongly as do we, but yeah, back to the Idaho case. I don't even like to use the name Sergeant Bill. You know that about me. I, I prefer to leave these people out of the spotlight by name and just refer to them, you know, the suspect, the defendant. But um, that's really going to be something in a few months in June when we get back to that one and, and so much uh, yet to be discovered, uncovered, you know, back to a why question of him for, for those of us who really feel strongly at the moment, at least regarding the evidence that that we know about, uh, why would a PhD in criminology student do this? Well, for me, as a criminologist and a professor, he would have been so well-versed on all of these cases. Did he make a decision that he himself wanted to be in a spotlight so that he could be a case study, so that he could be in the books, so that he could have documentaries written about him? Or I think the flip side is still possible. He, he committed this, this heinous crime or alleged to have done so. And did he in this rage and enrage and outrage and fury literally leave behind a key piece of evidence and he himself made a mistake? We'll see. Absolutely. I want to play a little
0: bit. This is Ang Jeanette Levy, with one of the attorneys in this civil case. Mm-hmm.
3: You know,
1: havoc, the boat crash in that case wreaked on the um, Murdoch family
2: uh an immense amount of pressure you know i've been talking about mark tinsley because he's such a close friend of mine and a colleague way before the trial and i said that he's a human terrorist you let him in your house he'll blow it up and i think the world saw how tenacious mark tinsley uh, is and was to alex just in the the pre-jury testimony not so much in the jury testimony because phil uh, barber exercise some serious do you love boating
0: do you want a hassle-free boating sorry i I didn't plan on that commercial i'm gonna have to (laughs) skip that ad and go back to it but that's one of the attorneys and one of the things mark tinsley who's the attorney for um uh for connor cook alec murdoch before all this stuff happened went up to him in a bar and told him to back off. And almost like, dude, are you kidding me? You know, like you see, he actually was like threatening him. Mm-hmm. And he, let me play a little bit more of this. We got rid of the commercial.
2: Uh, Those Mark skills. Mark is a uh, highly accomplished lawyer, highly accomplished with eight figure uh, jury verdicts and multiple settlements. And he knew having him set his teeth in Alex's hide, so to speak, was a major problem. The boat case not only financially, on what it was going to do for him. Think of the pressure that it put internally in the family. His son Paul, who he who he loved, um, and I don't doubt that he loved this son Paul. Whether he killed him or not, I I, I do believe that there was genuine love there. Um, was being charged with felony DUI homicide, which was going to be a twenty to thirty year sentence. There was going to be an example made to him because there was out calling Bob and. The, the mothers against truck drivers and similarly boating accident. There was so much public scrutiny. He was going to get a very long sentence. And that was weighing heavily on Alex because he knew that a kid like Paul, a smaller kid, I think he was five feet eight, would have a pretty difficult time in an adult prison with some pretty big guys. Buster was also being sued. Alex was being sued. Maggie was threatening to be sued for failure to supervise. So you have all of the internal pressures of sitting in a dinner table, looking at your children and your wife and realizing, oh my gosh, they're 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 embroiled in criminal and civil litigation.
1: Let's keep in mind, Eric, that Alec Murdoch had a huge name down there in that area and his family had a huge name and they've been around for 100 years. So everybody knows who they are. Yes. Yes and no.
2: Yes. A tremendous. Uh, name recognition in the 14th Judicial Circuit, the five-county area down there. Not so much statewide. The firm had a tremendous reputation statewide, and that was from Johnny Parker and Ronnie Crosby, because they did try cases outside of the 14th Judicial Circuit, whether it be a products liability case or a, a CSX railroad case that Johnny Parker specialized in, where there were railroad accidents or a derailment situation. And, you know, we had a Uh, Train derailment and
0: ground. You know, I just want to say something that whenever you could mention the Murdoch family's name in that part of South Carolina to someone that lived in the area, they weren't willing to talk about them on camera because they there was that fear. They feared this family. So maybe other attorneys they can act tough and you know they they go do battle with them in the courtroom, but people feared that their influence, they really feared the influence that this family had. And that's a little bit scary. You know, I think that is scary. And they don't need statewide power. If they have their little fiefdom, and they are the kings of this fiefdom, they're, they're running that little town. And things go their way all the time. Pierre, thank you for the $10 super sticker. Alec Murdoch tried to call Rogan several times right after the murders of Maggie and Paul. To me, this shows he was worried or overheard something he had no idea how much. Look, when we talk about the whole premeditation thing and then the covering up and the lies, and yeah, he was—he was the king of lies. He was, you know, something. In my police career, the best liars I've ever encountered were liars who believed their own lies because. Mm. They didn't act any differently. It was as if they were telling the truth because they believed it themselves. I believe he's a psychopath in that way that he actually believes his own
3: lies. Dr. Debbie. As do I. I. I really thought from beginning, middle to the end that that's who Alex Murdoch is. You see, I know because of this family name or lineage or history or all the generations of being in this state and potentially the contribution to community. But remember, we gotta look at past, present, and future with these cases. So the past of who Alex Murdoch was at some point in life, yes, he was a legal scholar, he was successful in the career, he was a father, he was a a husband, but that's the past. And now we go to the present. What did he do? I think we all agree here on the platform, you know, the two of us, Sergeant Bill, it sounds like the viewers, that that he committed this heinous crime. Now the why, will any of us really ever know the why? You know, Judge Newman, I thought, handled everything beautifully in the courtroom. And with that last exchange, gave Alex Murdoch still an opportunity To admit to anything did he do it no but i think that parlays back to what you just said some of the best liars the best psychopaths they truly believe that they believe their lies so he believes he's innocent it didn't happen and now we look at his future his future is what it is we know it to be he will be serving the rest of his life incarcerated whether it's the two life sentences whether it's another 700 years for financial crime and however this uh you know next step goes in August, we, we will be attuned and and commenting and discussing, of course.
0: Absolutely. Doris, you know, Doris, I want to be kind in how I answer this, but I I in some ways I'm having a problem understanding your thought process. Each boat passenger is responsible for their own actions. Yes, I'll agree to that. And yet they continue to pass the buck. They each do that uh, the uh, uh, Murdoch was drunk out of his mind. Uh, why did they get into the boat? Poor decision. Poor de- mm. it's not, they knew that BM, it's not BM, it's Paul Murdoch was was operating the boat. That's why I was a little confused. It was Paul Murdoch, uh, and it wasn't Buster. Buster's the older brother. Anyway, so Paul Murdoch was operating. Doris, a question I want to ask you. Have you ever gotten to a car with someone who you felt had too much to drink? I have, I, I have, I'll raise my hand. Poor decision on my part? Absolutely, absolutely. I spent my whole adult life telling my kids, don't ever get into a car with someone who's drinking. Don't you ever drink and drive. You know, do as I say, not as I do. I As a kid, I made some foolish decisions. I get into a car with people that were drinking. However, you know, the people that get in the car are not, they don't have the same liability as the person who's driving, the person who's the operator, the operator of a vehicle, the operator of a boat, they are 100 percent responsible. And and this night, every single person in that boat probably was intoxicated because they were drinking all day. I don't know. I can't speak for every single one of them, but I know they were at some oyster festival and they were drinking all day. And you saw that um, Paul Murdoch spent 50 bucks at the convenience store buying alcohol for everybody. So then they continued drinking, but apparently he was the most, the most intoxicated, and they pretty much begged him not to operate the boat, and they asked someone else. I believe they wanted um, Anthony to to operate the boat, and he said, no, this is my boat, I'll operate, you know, and he was very obstinate and very angry, and we know the results now. So, Doris, I I didn't mean to embarrass you, but that, that, that thought that other people are as responsible well they're actually in
3: the eyes of the lord they're not um sergeant bill maybe i could address doris's question too more maybe from you know for me doris as a criminologist i look at four things really in in a crime and in people's decision making criminology sociology psychology victimology so criminology really speaks to what doris is asking about the why you know why might these young people have have gotten into this boat and i'll share with you my humble opinion sociology what's going on directly in that person's moment right there and then psychology because of the alcohol was their decision making As Sergeant Bill addresses it was a poor decision but how did alcohol you know impact the decision it probably did since we might think that many of whom you know had ingested a higher amount let's say of alcohol and then lastly the victimology I think when it comes to victimization to Doris to to the viewers that many people don't think that they will be the victim of anything bad it's just not necessarily their thought and especially i think among these young people i'm not at all rationalizing it or justifying it in any way because i am very much you know anti-illicit drinking and drugs and and all of that which could potentially bring harm to others but my point with the victimology is i don't think they thought that they would be victimized or harmed in any way and there may have been an element psychologically there of the peer pressure that here they were they were all to go out on the boat. One maybe didn't want to refrain from doing so because they thought they'd be the outcast. That would be my humble. Let,
0: let, you know, let's not forget these kids were 19 years old. I think we all did stupid things when we were 19 years old. Wilesy pony. Was Paul Murdoch already drunk before he drove the boat? Yes, he was. He had actually 0.24 was his blood alcohol level, which is enough to kill a horse. And Wilesy Pony, I shouldn't say that because I know you own horses. <laughs> but any a human that drinks 0.24 blood alcohol level, it's beyond drunk. It's just beyond uh, what should even be measured. It's crazy. Uh, but the other thing was, folks, let's not forget, the reason they took the boat and not the car was because they knew they would be drinking and they mm-hmm. were afraid of roadblocks. Police do... Re- you know, DWI roadblocks. And that's the reason, oh, who's going to stop us on the water? Not thinking he's going to get in a fatal boating accident. So the whole thing was, again, premeditated. They knew they were going to drink heavily. And guys, we got to be, as adults, these are 19-year-old kids, you know, and 19-year-olds don't make great decisions, let's face it. And you can look back when you were 19 and think of some of the decisions that you made, and they probably were not perfect, you know. Dr. Debbie, I can't imagine you ever made any bad decisions.
3: <laughs> oh boy. Well, you know what? I, I'll say this, that I have good in my name, so I always wanted to. Make you always me. want to be good. I always want to be good, and especially my, my two sons and our boys. I always refer to them my sons, S-O-N-S, and my sons, S-U-N-S. So you want it
0: to be goody two shoes, that's for sure.
3: Well, I always did have, you know, understanding of, of the law and the rules and policies and procedures and wanted to stay within that lane, so to speak. Absolutely.
0: Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. He's a retired NYPD police officer and a fantastic defense attorney. If you want, if you need an attorney, you can get a hold of Joe On his cell at 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. And his website is jmurray-law.com. Joe is a fantastic defense attorney and a huge, huge supporter of police off the cuff real crime stories. We really appreciate Joe. There he is. There's a picture of Joe. So now you know what he looks like, too. (laughs) And I always say, what do you want from me? That's his what do you want from me picture right there, you know? There you go. What do you want from me? That's what that's what New York attorneys say. I think, right? But uh, I want to play a little bit of this, and we're, we're getting close to. Uh, let's.
1: Alex Murdoch, 19-year-old Mallory Beach was killed in a boating accident in 2019 on Murdoch's boat. Murdoch's son Paul was allegedly driving it. Beach's family has been silent on the accident until now. For this week's 48 Hours, Nikki Petit spoke with Beach's aunt and a first responder who was at the scene of the crash. 911, where's your emergency?
2: We're in a boat crash on Archer's Creek.
1: On February 24, 2019, six young friends were out partying on the Beaufort River on a boat owned by the Murdoch family when they crashed. On board was Alex Murdoch's 19-year-old son, Paul. What bridge is Paul, what bridge is it? Anthony Cook was there with his 19-year-old girlfriend, Mallory Beach. Mallory's aunt, Lynn Revis. The last thing she told me was she loved. Me. Just hours before the crash, surveillance cameras captured Paul Murdoch using his brother's ID to buy beer. He's holding the
2: beer up; he's celebrating.
1: Michael Dewitt, editor of the Hampton County Guardian, says later Paul and a friend were seen drinking at a bar on the river.
2: He pounded a couple of shots, got back in the boat. It was kind of a sad moment when you see Mallory. I think it's the last moment that. Anybody capture an image of her alive?
1: About an hour later, the boat slammed into a bridge piling. That's when Mallory disappeared. There's six of us and one is missing. Then Beaufort County Deputy Sheriff Stephen Domino was one of the first on the scene. Anthony (laughs) Cook told him he saw Paul Murdoch driving the boat just before the crash.
2: You all know Alec Murdoch? That's his son. So, good
0: luck.
1: Nearly two months after the boat crash, Paul was charged with causing the death of Mallory Beach. He pleaded not guilty. But the case will never go to trial. On June 7th, 2021, Alex Murdoch called police and said he'd found Paul and his wife Maggie shot dead on one of their properties. Maggie and Paul, please Hurry. Nikki Batiste, this is all over the place, this case. Are investigators saying if the boat crash is in fact related to the double murder or connected in any way? So the investigators are staying staying really tight-lipped about a motive, a suspect, but Alex Murdoch's attorneys have admitted that he is a person of interest in the double murders.
0: You know, Dr. Debbie, uh, Phil and I had covered this case right from the very beginning. And in our New York arrogance, uh, almost day one, we said, he did it. Alec Murdoch killed his wife and his son. Well, Mm -hmm. There's no other suspects. He did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the people are like, how do you know that? Oh, come on. You know, it's like we always use that little percentage thing. Well, because 80 to 85% of the time, it's the husband. It's it's someone very, very, very close to you. So let's now, is there a 15% chance it's someone else? No. And then we'll look at all the other stuff. It's him. He did it, you know. And of course, that's oversimplifying it because there was let, lots more evidence and lots more possibilities. But we covered this right from the very beginning. We said he killed both of
3: them. Sure. And I could I could also address that, um, Sergeant Bill, because even as a criminologist, and you know, every day I deal with data analytics on the crimes. And so we know that it, when it's a family related murder and members of families, see, that's where back to Doris and her question, that's where the victimology piece comes in. Who are the victims? When we have a wife, who is closest to a wife? Her husband. When we have a son, who's closest to the son? Usually the father. But what the data points to is a xoricide, we know its own crime, husband kills wife. Philicide, however, is when father kills son. Now there's different data if and when we would have a daughter who's been murdered, then the analytics point more highly Toward mom, so I agree with you too. That's exactly what we were talking about in class on week one when my students were saying, "Well, Professor Dr. Debbie, who do you think?" I said, "I think it's somebody in the family. I think it's the father, or the husband, because that's what the data points well, to." One of my subscribers
0: remind me reminded me of a canonism, which I call perpology. And that's <laughs> the study of the perp. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we use victimology. We can yeah. also use perpology. I right remember?
4: So. <laughs> I know we do. So well, how th- many? Thank you, Wildy
0: Pony, for reminding me of my canonism right there. Yeah. you I'm know, so many people are also talking about. Like this, this uh, potential court case starting on August 14th is not the end of the Murdoch saga. There yeah. is also the little matter of the death of Stephen Smith. Yes, it's heard in 2015. That's and right. there's a the potential that that could bring Buster Murdoch. That is what we're hearing mm. into the forefront in this case. So I think the police and the investigators have a lot more on that case than they're letting on. In fact, when this case, when the double murder happened, they said there's evidence at this scene that of the murder of Stephen Smith, which was never even considered a murder. It was ruled a hit and run. I don't know how that they said that because it it didn't have any earmarks of that. It had other physical evidence that indicated it was not a hit and run. So now the saga
3: continues, Dr. Debbie. Indeed, Sergeant Bill, like, like we say with so many of these cases, I think we're only at potentially layer one or two, uh, like the onion. It will continue to unravel. And with each uh, level and layer, there's going to be something else that will most likely be, um, again, revealed. Will we be astonished? We may. But then when we look at the facts and connect the dots, as we say, will we have said, yep, that makes sense? And I think you're right on this Stephen Smith case that has got to be investigated. And I do feel that Buster has a significant role and potentially Alex Murdoch as well.
0: On the screen, what you what you see is um, that's Anthony Cook and Mallory Beach the, to, to the left. And of course, that's Paul Murdoch and his former girlfriend, Morgan Dowdy, who he was very abusive towards. And this, and it's Connor Cook and Miley Altman, and Connor Cook is the cousin of uh, Anthony Cook, and Connor was the individual in the boat who the Murdochs tried to pin uh, the responsibility for operating on it till the other witnesses on the boat were not having it and said, no, he wasn't operating the boat, and in fact, the physical evidence showed that he could not have been operating the boat based on the injuries he received and how he what he hit his chin on and all that other stuff. So it just shows, like, the evilness of being willing to just flake somebody. That's a police word, flake. You right. know, that really means just trump up charges against someone. Terrible. So to, to to pretend that someone else did it when you know full well that your son did it, and he, but they're willing to destroy this this kid's life. And the other point was that I find why I find the Murdochs to be despicable human beings, is that on the scene and at the hospital, they could have given a shit less that Mallory Beach was probably dead. They didn't care. In fact, their only concern was getting Paul Murdoch off the hook. Mm -hmm. They didn't care that a 19-year-old beautiful girl was missing in the water and then, of course, five days later turned up dead. They could have cared less about that. And that just shows you what
3: evil, evil people they are. But exactly, Sergeant Bill, but if I may humbly submit on on that thought and statement, herein lies the beauty of our criminal justice system. Do we always get it right? Not always, but I just feel so strongly that with this case and thus far, the jury coming back with, with the appropriate verdict, I have to believe moving forward, that justice was rendered on, on this piece and part, and it will continue to um, be so for the next involvement, whether it's Buster, Alex Murdoch again, I think people have now recognized the past, the present and the future of this family, and will be examining the facts without fear. See all of these years and decades of fear, I think that piece is off the table and people will be looking at what are the facts here and what should justice uh, look like for this family. Absolutely. Selena Palfrey, thank you so much
0: for the 3.99 super sticker. Very much appreciated. Pauline Robb, so sorry to hear this. My mm-hmm. beautiful 18-year-old son was killed in the summertime motorcycle accident years ago when a drunk driver hit at, at an intersection. I'll never be the same. Forever, mm-hmm. nor are his friends. I'm so sorry, Pauline. Rob, we we feel your pain and we feel the pain of someone that has lost uh, a son, uh, mm. a daughter, anything at that point. We know that it changes your life to the point that you never, ever fully uh, get over that.
3: Yeah. yeah. And if Miss um, Rob would want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am involved with um, parents who've lost children um, in ways that are not through natural cause. And I can perhaps be a conduit there that's very generous of you dr debbie i really appreciate that uh you know guys
0: we covered this i think it's uh this is still and oh i implore everyone to watch the netflix documentary there's three parts to it on this case and you'll you'll come away pissed off a little bit you know like how has this family been allowed to do the things they've done and become this powerful look That old expression, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We see this all over our country, all over the land. People with money, power, influence. You know, what's the old expression to put it very simply? Uh, Money talks, bullshit walks, you know, and uh, that happens to be a fact. Dr. Debbie, we're we're here an hour and 16 minutes.
3: I'm going to give you final thoughts uh final thoughts i'm just so appreciative sergeant bill to you detective phil professor mike who comes on so many times all your excellent experts and of course the viewers who are experts as well and just you know again my uh, my my thanks to everyone in our field of law enforcement our men and women local state and federal who do a great job Very much appreciate their fine service through the years and hoping everybody continues every day to be safe and to be secure. Thank you, Dr. Debbie. And, folks, again, Dr. Debbie said it probably better than
0: I can, but we wouldn't have a show without you guys. And I just want to thank you guys for your support. You're the best fans on uh, YouTube, and uh, you guys know who we are, and we know who you are. And, uh, Daisy's Forever, thank you so much, Dr. Debbie and Sergeant Bill Cannon, Mods and Chat. Well, thank you. Uh, and Lula Morocco, thank you so much, buddy, for your for being a big fan of the show and also for your generosity. I really appreciate it. Casey, sending love to anyone who lost their sweet babies. Absolutely. Lieutenant Pete Pranzo and uh, Richella, always great to see you guys. Always great to have you in the chat. I know you got my back and uh, I really appreciate that m finn pauline you'll never forget him ever for you and your dear son's friends absolutely uh we believe in prayer on this channel and uh, i know some people don't but this is my this is my show so folks absolutely. have a great night god bless everyone and thank you uh for showing up and have a great day bye now thank you
1: One